0: You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. So we read Genesis 1, 27 through chapter 2 and verse 3. A very familiar passage to us regarding creation of the universe, the creation of Adam and Eve. Uh, that's told a little bit more in detail, specifically related to Adam and Eve in chapter 2. But thinking of creation before exile, before some change occurred. Notice, if you would, that we have in Genesis 1.27, so God created. Now just stopping at that word created, the particular word used there is a unique activity only attributed to God. In the Old Testament. Man does not create. Man can fashion things out of pre-existent material, but but he cannot create out of nothing. So God distinctively is described as having the ability to create, ex nihilo, out of nothing. And he creates man out of material that he himself first created, the dust Mm -hmm. of the ground. But then you also notice in this view of creation before exile, in Genesis 1.27, man is created in the image and likeness of God. And it's very clear here that there's a difference slightly between image and likeness. We're not created to be God. We will never become God. But we are to reflect him. We are made in his likeness. We are intelligent beings. We are spirit beings. Uh, we are rational beings. We have a mind. So in thinking of this initial creation, we have, we're made in the image of God. We're created by God. Notice you get to chapter 2 of Genesis, verses 2 and 3. Uh, we have the blessing and favor of God poured out upon us. And in particular, you have that perfect harmony between God and his creation. What a, what a perfect world it was in the Garden of Eden. And then God steps back from his creative activities, not his activities of sustaining what he created, but just his creative activities steps back, and you have the institution of the Sabbath. A day in which we are to reflect upon, take in the glories and magnificence of God. A day that is unique from all the others because all of those aspects of work are to be set aside. So this gives us a good sort of foundation. That's what creation looked like before the exile. But for another glimpse, just go to Genesis chapter 2 and verses 21 through 25. Uh, And I won't read this passage, but as you look at it, you have here the details of the creation of Eve and then the institution of marriage in verses 24 and 25. Notice it says there, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one. The man and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. So now we move into we are created relational beings. And, and part of that relationship is marriage, but also in a general sense, we are people who are created to relate to one another. There's a very recent study was just released about how people are handling isolation in the midst of COVID and the pandemic. And, and the study has found, not surprisingly, that generally married people handle it much better. Now you might say, yeah, but you know, sometimes my spouse can get really irritating right now because we're all together. But, but generally they handle the changes in life much better because they have someone in their life. Uh, financially, they tend to do better during a pandemic. You could argue because they have two incomes coming in, not one. But I think more importantly, we could say the reason is we're created to have relationships. And the one and foremost relationship before the exile is our relationship with our Creator. And we see that here in the Garden of Eden, that it is in perfect harmony and completeness. There's, there's no sin. There, there's nothing to interfere, to inhibit our closeness to our Creator. And even I would argue for many single people that if you're a Christian, you have the network of your church to be a means to help you in times of isolation. And so we are creating the image of God. We're created as rational beings. Everything looks and is perfect at this point in time which reminds us that God and all of creation, we exist to glorify God, and as the Westminster Confession goes on to say, and to enjoy his presence forever. That's creation before the exile. Perfect closeness, intimacy, between man and God, between creator and creation. But you know the story as well as I do that as we turn now and look at Genesis 3 through 11, we have creation after the exile. In other words, now we're going to witness increasing alienation from God. That what was once perfect has now suffered from the consequences of sin. And so I direct you to Genesis 3 and verses 4 and 5, where you have the fall given to us in detail. But just notice verses 4 and 5. It says, You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And I'm sure you've read this, and you're aware of some of the different Ways we explain what was at the root of this temptation. But I think one of the things we see at the root of this is you can be God. Now, think about this for a moment. They were created in the image of God, in the likeness of God, but Satan played on the temptation that what we want is not likeness, we want equality. We want to be God. What a subtle and deceptive temptation. They had the likeness of God. They had the image of God. But they wanted more. And this should resonate as we read and often hear in the news today, the the concern about inequity among people. So I just heard of this recent lawsuit going on in California. Uh, There were a couple of major companies that during covid Uh, decided they would give some extra pay and allowances to parents who had children because they realized they need to focus more on being home so they made some exceptions to that and we're we're paying them and giving them extra pay to allow them to be home well you can probably imagine what happened in a world where we think equity means everyone has to be treated the same a number of single employees are filing a lawsuit that they didn't get that benefit. And this kind of reminds us, we sometimes wrongfully crave and think equity means everybody, everything has to be the same. And here for Adam and Eve, it is that quest that not to just be like God is enough. I want to be in the place of God. I want to be equal to God. I want to be the one, in a sense, who is worship, -worship, self-worship, self-adoration. But then drop down to verses seven through 10, because as they fall for this subtle but effective temptation, notice what happens in verse seven. "'Then the eyes of both of them were opened, "'and they realized they were naked. "'So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves now just stop right there for a moment and think what were they attempting to do self-atonement how how can we cover up what we have done We, we realize it's brought now shame everything has changed what do we do and i don't need to challenge you what is our natural impulse when we realize we've done something cover up mode. Hide it. Deal with it in some way. Self-atonement. And then notice what happens as you look at verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the field. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. We did not hear that language in Genesis 1 and 2. There was perfect fellowship, communion with God, closeness. Now following sin, the exile, they hide from God. Twice it's repeated for us, I hid from you. I heard you, and I hid. I, I saw it cover. I, I was fearful, fearful of the consequences, knowing I had done wrong. And we see the implications of this, not just horizontally, but vertically. Suddenly, both Adam and Eve realized they have no clothes on. That was not a factor beforehand. Now we have shame introduced following sin and the entrance here again of a form of exile what a transition from just Genesis 1 and 2 to now this chapter but Genesis 1 through 11 goes on look further in chapter 3 at verses 22 through 24 following the sin the consequences that God will announce You go down to verse 22 and the Lord God said the man has now become like one of us knowing good and evil he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever so the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden, cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, we often don't think of Exodus until we get to the book of Exodus and their deliverance out of Egypt. But if you think about it, already here in Genesis, you've got the concept of in order to have an exodus, You must be in some kind of exile. And here it says, notice in verse 23, God banished them. He expelled them from the Garden of Eden. Literally, you could say he he threw them out of the Garden of Eden. What does that even tell you about our own sinful nature? At this point, Adam and Eve didn't see the danger of staying in the Garden of Eden. In fact, perhaps they may have wanted to argue, why can't we stay here? But the danger of them eating of the tree of life and remaining in that eternal state of exile required their banishment. So he not just banished them, but you notice in verse 24, he drove the man out. Literally, God divorced them from the Garden of Eden a picture that we often miss It's a picture of exile banishment from from this closeness that was there created by design to glorify God and enjoy his presence forever was now dramatically changed and altered how ironic it is that Adam and Eve not only didn't get what they were hoping they would receive by eating of the fruit. But they also lost everything they had possessed prior to that. Isn't that what sin does? We we think it will give us something, and the end result is we we not just don't get what we thought we would receive, but we lose so much more. But the story continues to unfold when you get to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, verses 11 through 17, um, Cain kills his brother Abel. Uh, and, and we're aware of that, and we're like, yes, that was wrong. But, but maybe we miss some of the other details here and how this also continues to unfold, the exile between man and God. Look at verse 11. And tell me as I read this, if you hear language very similar to what God said to Adam in Genesis 3. Beginning at chapter 4, verse 11. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Notice those terms, curse, driven, work the ground. We've, we've heard that before. That was the consequences of Adam's sin. But then notice what it says about him in verse 12. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Now, jump to verse 16. So God graciously does put a mark on Cain uh, to preserve his life. But you get to verse 16. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now we don't catch this, but there is a play on the words Nod and restless wanderer. In essence, the word Nod refers to one who wanders. So, in a sense, where Cain goes and lives because he's an inhabitant there, it becomes known as the land of restless wanderers. In other words, Cain's sin against his brother leads to a loss of identity. No longer is he part of a community in terms of a community that loves and follows God, like the descendants of Seth will become. But the picture unfolds even more when you get to verse 17. What does sinful man then do? Well, Cain lay with his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city and he named it after his son Enoch. Why do you think Cain embarked on building a city? What did we just say had happened? God sent him out he would now be a restless wanderer. He would live in a land that would be derive its name from the fact that he is a restless wanderer. Disjointed from God, from the community of God, what does he seek to do? Build his own security, make his own city. Somehow, oddly enough, I think you see in sinful man there is this quest for identity for immortality and for security we want to leave a mark Cain wants to leave a mark what better way than to build a city and name it after who your son your legacy will continue and isn't this what we see when we are exiled from God that now because our identity should be in God and sin breaks that connection We look for identity, we look for immortality, we look for security everywhere but God. I love how the book of Ecclesiastes puts it that God has put eternity in man's heart. That that we know there's more to life than just what we see. COVID has reminded many people, yeah, it's your job that's not your security, but where has it also turned them wrongfully to look and think it's the most important thing. Family, relationships. Now those are blessings, but it's our relationship with our Creator that gives us our true identity, our true source of community and relationship with one another. So we see in Cain the impact of this exile causes us and results in us even looking for that in all of the wrong places. So the story of the exile hasn't gotten better as you go through Genesis. It just continues to show our increasing alienation from God. But let's go to Genesis chapter 6. And in Genesis 6 through 9, we have the story of Noah. Noah and the flood, God's judgment. But look with me at Genesis 6, and now verse 5. So we've had generations to come. Uh, people have multiplied. But you get to Genesis six five and we have the very sad description of what does a world in exile look like from its creator? And it says the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. There you have it. Where have we gone in exile? Into further and further alienation from God. we built our cities, we've named them after ourselves, we've sought to establish and leave a legacy, but we're we're totally corrupt and sinful. Notice the wording there, every inclination Every loophole is closed there. Every thought has some kind of basis of a sinfulness behind it. Even the thought of times of sometimes like helping someone out may have the sinfulness behind it because it makes me feel good. Because it it makes me feel like I'm a good person. That's all about you. Self-glorification, (laughs) self-atonement. makes you feel less guilty maybe for the things you've done where you've hurt people but then in Genesis 6 we have this reminder that all along through this exodus we have glimmers through both Genesis as well as here of of God's faithfulness and so if you look at chapter 6 verse 18 it says but I will establish my covenant with you And you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. There is a Noahic covenant. God, speaking of how he will deliver Noah, because of his love, because of his mercy. And later we read of how God will, will shut the door of the ark. There's always an intriguing passage. Why did God shut the door? You could argue it was probably a pretty heavy door. It had to be big enough to let different animals in, two by two. Uh, But why was it necessary that God closed the door? I think to show that it was God who was gonna seal him in. It was God who was going to protect him. Not not the door, not the structure of it, not how well it was weather sealed, but God's seal upon Noah and his family. In the midst of the day and age in which the thought of everyone, including Noah, was sinful, but God's favor was on him. But now let me turn to Genesis chapter 9. So in Genesis 9 and verse 1 and verse 3, God delivers Noah and his family. Uh, but listen again to the words that are said to Noah. And tell me if you've heard these already before, even this morning. Verse 1, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, (laughs) saying to them, Be fruitful, and increase in number, and fill the earth. Verse 3, Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. Isn't that what God said to Adam? So now we're looking at this scene of exile, and in the midst of it, we're reminded of a God who has a plan, a design. But finally, we come to Genesis chapter 11. As you turn to Genesis 11, we see again creation after the exile, increasing alienation. In spite of God's grace, in spite of God's intervention, that has happened. We come to the scene of the Tower of Babel. Uh, And you notice verses 1 and 2. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. There's a little word there that should raise a red flag to us as you read the Old Testament. It's the word east. Because whenever you have a description of man moving east or something coming from the east, it's never good. It's a direction that refers to God's judgment when he speaks of, I will send a strong east wind upon you. Remember with Adam and Eve, they were cast out of the garden, uh, east of the garden. Uh, so this reference kind of is a little pointer i say, mm, what's going to follow can't be good. It must speak of further alienation, further movement away from the one who created us to have fellowship and communion with him. But listen to what happens in verse 4. So they decide to build this city, very similar to what we read with Cain, looking for security, stability. In verse 4 then they said come let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so we make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth now god is not against buildings he's not against necessarily building high buildings so what is behind this well you notice what it says there Let us build ourselves a city." What were they really looking for? Security, protection, a legacy? Notice it says not only they want to build a city, but it mentions these high towers. Uh, Many archeologists kind of conclude this is a reference to ziggurats, which is an attempt, maybe a means to see if you can get elevated closer to the heavens the thought of if you're closer in physical realm you're closer spiritually that may be a part of this but notice it also says so that we are not scattered didn't god tell them to scatter and fill the whole earth was this an attempt by them to also seek security to find what they would say would be a home and to set ourselves down and to be comfortable, to be content, for us to determine this. And one can often also wonder, too, is part of the thought of building this city that if God should ever again send his judgment, we would be safe. We have found a way to be safe even if God chooses to judge us. Doesn't sound a lot like people today who build a certain network around them thinking that they are safe from God's judgment because they try to be a nice person because they go to church that their security is found in their home their, their possessions their status in life it seems like they're seeking a permanence that is independent of God and where did that get Adam and Eve where did that get Cain where does it get us today. But then go down to verse 19, or excuse me, verses 8 and 9 of Genesis 11. The attempt is taken, the Lord sees it, so in verse 8, so the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. God's response for their exile. I told you to scatter. You're seeking to not scatter. I will scatter you. But what's very interesting is we miss the significance of this name. Babel does mean confusing. Confusing. But even more so, the, in Hebrew, the consonants for Babel are the exact reverse of bricks. In other words, what did they want to do? They wanted to take bricks to make a security for them. They wanted a name. God says, I'll give you a name. It'll be the reverse of the consonants in brick will mean confusion. So in other words, what did they end up with? the exact opposite of what Adam and Eve saw. They ended up with a name. They will be remembered as, that's where Babel was, confusion. That's what happens when you seek to alienate and are exiled from God. So as you think about this, consider the fact that every exodus us have an exile preceding it. And already this lays the groundwork for us to consider what what is the exile we are in because of sin? And what can possibly deliver us from that? It's a true story a number of years ago of a teenager who was charged with the brutal murder of his father. Uh, And during his trial, he remained emotionless, did not speak, at all he was sentenced to life imprisonment and upon his first night in prison the guards reported that they could hear weeping from his cell and then they didn't hear just weeping they heard him crying out I want my father back I want my father back doesn't that remind us of the exile from sin created by God to have fellowship and communion with him because of sin we are separated from God and sadly we will seek every way to get our father back not by the way and the only way that our father says it is possible this is exactly what Augustine meant when he said God, you have made us for yourselves and our souls are restless until they find their rest in you.